Hi, I'm Marty McKenzie with His Love Ministries. Welcome to the Least of These Podcasts. We reach out to those the world has forgotten. If you'd like to know more about us and how you can donate to help us fulfill our mission, go to hisloveministries.net. Thank you very much and God bless you. chapter 10 and I want to back up just for a second to verse 28 I actually brought out a little handout this morning because of the fact that I wanted y'all to see some verses and I brought them for you but in John chapter 10 we've been talking about how Jesus is the good shepherd how he lays his life down for his sheep how he uh, takes it up again and then uh, no one takes his life away from him but he lays it down willingly and he picks it back up again when he got through talking about that the Jews uh, were upset with him and says he had a demon and some others said can a demon uh, open the eyes of a blind, blind man And then we talked about last week about how Jesus walked into Jerusalem at the Feast of Lights, that the light of the world Himself came to Jerusalem, the very place where God rules and reigns one day in His city, beloved city. And He's walking in that city because one day that will be His city where He dwells. And and so there will be the heavenly Jerusalem. And then... He goes on and he talks to these these Jewish folks again and they say, well, you know, if you're really the Christ, tell us plainly like he hasn't already. Now, he won't tell them he's the Messiah because they don't they think the Messiah is somebody that's playing politics. They think the Messiah is somebody who's going to come and and overthrow the Roman government. And uh, but they don't understand the Messiah is is God who's going to rule and reign one day here on earth, but He came the first time to die on the cross. And then they they don't listen, they don't understand, and Jesus keeps telling them, look, you don't understand because you're not my sheep, you can't hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice, they follow me. And then He said in verse 28, And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. I just wanted to spend a minute or two longer on that. And he says, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And he says, I and my Father are one. I wanted to spend a minute on the fact that about eternal security of the believer. Jesus tells him, he says, that uh, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life. What does eternal life mean? Forever, right? And then he says, and uh, they shall never perish. So he says it again, they shall never perish. And then he says, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. 
And then he says, My Father who has given to me, given them to me, so the Father gave them to him. They're a love gift from the Father to the Son. All who believe is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So basically, he says, first of all, you're in my hand. You have eternal life. You shall never perish. And then he says, and then you're also in the Father's hand. And the Father is greater than all. If the Father is greater than all, He can't snatch Him out of Jesus' hand. And He can't snatch Him out of God's hand. And you've got like double protection. The Bible tells us that if we're really truly saved, we know Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, then uh, we are eternally secure. And I know a lot of people don't believe that. The fact is... Jesus says, I give them life. And He says, I give them eternal life. I'll just read you a couple of verses. Uh, and these are off that page. I'm not going to read all of them, but I got you a whole page of stuff. Y'all can read it. Hopefully you can read that. Now I guess you can get you a magnifying glass. You know, basically, the Bible tells us, he, the Bible tells us, that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoso believes in Him shall not perish, right? But have eternal life. If He says they shall not perish, shall means shall, right? It means forever. And so some of the verses that I just pulled up, uh, John 6.50 says, you don't need to turn there, but I'm just going to read some of them. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. Now he's talking about the second death, the death of going to the lake of fire. And then he says in John 8.51, Most assuredly I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. John 11.26, And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And then Romans 2.7 says, Eternal life to those who by patience, patient continuance in doing good for glory, honor, and immortality. In other words, those who are saved continue doing what is good and right. 1 Corinthians 15.54 So when this corruptible is put on incorruptible and this mortal is put on immortality then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. So he goes on and on and on to, to talk about everlasting life, eternal life. One man said there's seven strands of, of rope that bind you to God. We're Christ's sheep and it's his duty to care for us. And if he's not the good shepherd and he doesn't take care if he's the good shepherd and he doesn't take care of us, then that means he's not the good shepherd, right? He said he'd give us life, eternal life, and if he doesn't do that, we're in bad shape. You know, he says that the true sheep follow Christ and they don't hear strangers, and that's security. And then he says the sheep is given eternal life, and to speak of eternal life as ending is a contradiction. Fourthly, eternal life is given. I give them eternal life. So if you didn't earn it, you didn't do anything to earn it, how can you lose it? God gave it to you. It's God's to give and God's to take away. We read last week in John 8, 31, not John, Romans 8, 31 to 39, that nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. 
Then it says, The Lord Himself declares that they shall never perish. And if one sheep goes to hell, Jesus Christ is a liar. And then sixthly, it says, uh, From the shepherd's hand, none is able to pluck them, not even the devil. Nobody is more powerful than God. And the last one, the seventh one, is the idea that Christ and God hold together, hold the believer. My life is hid with Christ and God. So remind me to give those out to you at the end. And another man, Leon Morris, says, uh, It's one of the precious things about the Christian faith that our continuance in eternal life depends not on our feeble hold on Christ, but His firm grip on us. See, our grip is not what's important, but it's His firm grip on us. He grabs hold to us and He never lets us go. Remember, when God says He's going to do something, He can't lie, right? He says if He's going to do something, He does it. And He says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. If He says it, then uh, I believe it. (laughs) So, And it's true whether we believe it or not. But you need to believe that, really. But just remember, God loves us. And if He loves us, then... If He did the greatest thing by giving His life to die on the cross, will He not keep us? That's Paul over and over and over again. And John does some of that too. He argues from the greater to the lesser. If God did this great thing for us, will He not do the lesser thing? And so we need to remember that God promises. And I know that's a bone of contention with some people and some groups. But you know what? The Bible says it, and that's why I teach it. And I just want to understand that God tells us He's going to do something, He's going to do it. I'd hate to think that God said He'd give me salvation, and then then one day I'd show up to say, expecting it, and He'd say, well, sorry, I took it back. God doesn't work that way. You either have it or you don't. 1 John chapter 5, John writes, These things have I written that you may know that you have eternal life. It's a no-so faith, not a hope-so faith. Because I talk to people sometimes and I say, well, you going to heaven and have you trusted Christ and you go into heaven and they say, well, I hope so. You you shouldn't have to hope so because the Bible says if you ask God to forgive you and ask God to save you, He comes into your life and He lives in you and He died for you And he says, whoever believes shall be saved. That ought to be plain enough. Shall be saved. Not hope so, not might be. Not if you do this and do that, do these other things. But he says, whoever believes shall be saved. So shall means shall, right? It doesn't mean hope so, maybe, and might be, and if you do this and 400 other things. It means if you, God said it, you believe it, and that settles it. That's the way it is. Like I said, we could spend all day just talking about this. Nobody overrules God's will. Nobody overpowers God. No one nullifies what He achieved. No one takes away those He has purchased. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 1.13 that God has given us the Holy Spirit as a down payment, as an arabon, as a promise that one day He's coming back to get us. And that's what He said. Like I said, we could spend all day just quoting verses 
that deal with this particular thing. I chose to give you about a page of them. And you can go look them up for yourself and read them and ponder them and think about them. We just need to remember that if we trust God to forgive us and save us, we need to remember He, he will keep us. Alright, well, let's look on. Let's see. He says, I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall anybody snatch them out of my hand. He, then he says his father has given them to him. So we're a love gift from the father, right? Remember this also goes back to verse 13 or 12, excuse me, where it says the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. And that word catches is the same word snatch. What does the wolf do? And the thief come in and do? And the robber come in and do? They snatch, right? And that's what he says. Nobody can snatch them out of my hand. So he's going back to verse 12 and he's using that same imagery that nobody can snatch them out of our hand. Here's one good verse. I love this one. And I'll quit. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3 and 4. And that should be on here too. For you have died... And your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with Him in glory. In other words, you're hidden in Christ. And nobody can get through Christ, so you're okay. So, let's look on to verse 30 then of John chapter 10. I and my Father are one. You know, the Bible tells us over and over again, we could go all the way back to John 1.1. 1, 1. And it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? And that's what he says. Jesus is essentially saying, I'm the same as God because I am God. Colossians 2.9 says, we're in Him, the, the fullness, everything about God dwells bodily. In other words, the Bible says in John, I think it's John 4 or 1 John 4, that God is a spirit. But you know what? Jesus is God in a body. He came down to earth to be, live as a man, a perfect sinless man, so that He could die on that cross and die for our sins and take us to heaven one day. That's the whole reason Jesus came. And if what Jesus did on that cross wasn't sufficient to get us to heaven, then He should have stayed up in heaven, right? Because He said, I paid it all. We sing the old song, Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but He washes me white as snow. So over and over and over again, I mean, we could turn over to John chapter 5, verse 18. It says, Therefore the Jews sought all the more the killing, because He not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was His Father, making Himself equal with the Father. John eight fifty eight. Jesus told the Jews, "Before Abraham is, before Abraham was, I am." And then when He gets to John chapter ten verse eighteen, what does He tell him? He says, "No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down in myself. I had the power to lay it down, and I had the power to take it up again." This command I have received from my Father. So who could take their life up and lay it down and take it up again? I don't know of anybody that can die and then, and then come to life on their own. Do you? Only Jesus. And so Jesus is saying that He and the Father 
are one in actions, they're one in, in essence, they're one in nature, they're one in every way, shape, and form, because guess what? Jesus is God, right? And because He is God, He is exactly like God, except for He has a body. And He did that so He could die on the cross. He doesn't tell him, remember again, that he's the Messiah because it has those political overtones. They won't elect him king. But guess what? Jesus gives them a clear statement about who he is right here by saying, I and my Father are one. Nobody can snatch him out of my Father's hand. Nobody can snatch him out of my hand. I give him eternal life. He is claiming to be God. He has told them he is God. He is God. And in verse 31 it says, Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. And from what I understand reading this section of Scripture, it wasn't the same word as they used before in John chapter 8 verse 59 where they took up stones. But this meant great stones. And maybe they had already brought them in and and piled them up and were ready to confront him it sounds like because these were great stones. Because I don't imagine Jesus stood there while they walked off and came back with these big old stones to stone him. But they must have already had these stones there waiting. And they had these great stones because they were serious and they were going to kill him. And they took up these stones again to stone him. And here Jesus kind of distracts them a little bit. Just supernatural God that they didn't stone him. Because Jesus answered them and said... Many good works, verse 32, I have shown you from my Father. For which of these works do you stone me? In other words, he says, I've done many great things, many good works, many great miracles that prove that I'm God. For which of these good works are you going to stone me for? Think about it. Have you ever noticed that people get mad a lot of times when we try to do the right thing? If you try to do the right thing in life, you know what people label you as? A troublemaker, right? Well, guess what? Jesus was a troublemaker because He always did the right thing. And you know what? When you always do the right thing, that always makes everybody else look bad. He says, for which of these good works have you you going to stone me? I've, you know, He's healed a paralyzed man. He's done hundreds, maybe even thousands of miracles at this point. Healed blind people, changed water into wine, fed ten or fifteen thousand people. He's walked on the water. He's still the storm. He's healed a young nobleman's son. He's done all kinds of things. And he says, well, "Why do you want to kill me? What have I done? I've done all this good stuff. You know, what's the bad thing that I've done that you that you want to kill me for?" And in verse thirty-three, the Jews answered him, saying. For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself God. And so they want to stone him not because he's uh, done good things, but they want to stone him because they know he is claiming to be God. And in their minds, in their eyes, that's blasphemy. What is blasphemy? It's, it's speaking wrongly against God, making God look bad. And basically, they, they say, you, you being a man, make yourself God. But guess what? It was exactly the opposite. Him being God made himself a man. And they had it exactly backwards, didn't they? 
Because he was the God man. He wasn't the man who you know, became God. He was God who became man. They're upset because he is saying he is God. So don't, you know, people say, well, Jesus never said he was God. I mean, all you got to do is read through about the first eight or ten chapters of, of John and over and over and over again, Jesus tells them he's God. I thank God he was sent from God to die for our sins. And look at verse 34. And so they're accusing him and saying and that uh, we're blaspheming. And guess what? If, if, he, if they had misunderstood him, you know what? Jesus could have corrected them right there on the spot and said, no, I didn't say I was God. But he didn't say that, did he? He didn't say that. Jesus answered them and says, verse 34, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and said unto the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? So what Jesus does here is he quotes uh, Psalm 82 and he quotes that. Let me see if I can get over to Psalm 82. What happens in this psalm, and it says here, I'll just read it to you. It says, God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. And in that psalm, that word gods, little g gods, is used for the judges, the people who are put in place. And many times in the Old Testament, we won't go all the places, but I'll just let you know that many times in the Old Testament, they call people gods because guess what? These people who are judging and doing and standing in the place of doing God's work, the judges and these people, what are they doing? They are doing God's work, right? They are supposed to be doing judging between right and wrong. And so they are called little g-gods. And he says, how long will you judge unjustly? He's talking to these judges. And show partiality to the wicked. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are unstable. I said, you are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. So let me tell you what happens here. Jesus pulls out this psalm. And he's talking about, this psalm speaks of evil, wicked judges. Guess what the Pharisees are? These people who are, are speaking to Jesus and wanting to stone him right then and there, what are they? They are wicked judges. They are doing evil. They are oppressing the people. They are stealing from the widows. They are stealing from these people. They are doing all these things that make them look wonderful and powerful and popular. But guess what? At the end of the psalm, what it says is that the wicked will be judged. So what he says is these Pharisees are evil, wicked judges. And guess what? At the end of the psalm, it says that they're going to be judged by the great judge. Who's the great judge? God. And so you know what? Guess who these wicked judges are? 
They're the Pharisees. And guess who's standing in front of them? God. And you know what He's saying to them? He's saying basically, if you if ye are gods, if you're judges, then why can't I say that I'm God? Because I am God. And I'm sent from heaven by the Father in heaven. And then He says... To whom the word, and then he says, if he called him God, to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken. Notice there it says that the scripture can't be changed either, right? And he says, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God. So basically he says, look, if these people are called gods who do God's work and they're just human beings, why can't I? who in God came from from heaven sent by the Father, why can't I be called a greater title, the Son of God? And then he goes on to say in verse 37, If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. In other words, then he says, But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in Him. So basically what does he say here? He says, if I do not do the works of the Father, do not believe me. He says again, I've been doing the works of the Father, right? I've been doing all these wonderful miracles, all these signs. He says, but if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works. Because if you look at the Old Testament, look at your Bible, look at Luke 4, 18 to 21, he says that, that God is going to give sight to the blind. He's going to heal those who are oppressed and give sight to the blind and do all these wonderful things. And then you look in the Old Testament and the Messiah is said to do all the wonderful things that Jesus does. And He says, if you don't believe My words, believe the works. The works speak for themselves. In other words, everywhere in the Bible, God always speaks to the fact that He says you will be shown to be who you truly are, to be saved by the fact that what you say matches what you do. We're in the study in James over at our church and some other places that I do it. What he says over there is James says, faith without works is dead. If you're really truly saved, then you're going to show it by the way you live and the things you do. And you know what? That's what Jesus is saying here. Not that he say, but he says, my talk matches my walk. But you know what he said to the Pharisees? Y'all's talk doesn't match y'all's walk. Because y'all say one thing and do another, right? Because when you get to like Matthew chapter 10 or one of those books, maybe it's Mark, he talks to him and he says, Woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And he says it about ten times over and over and over again because they always say one thing and then they do something totally different. And then he says, If I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in Him. So believe the works that you might know that I'm really truly God. And then in verse 39 it says, Therefore they sought again to seize Him, but He escaped out of their hand. Notice, they try to seize Him, they want to stone Him again, but then He says, He escaped out of their hand. Notice there's that word hand again. 
What did it talk about? I'm my father one and you nobody can snatch him out of my hand. And he goes back to verse 12 and he goes back to verse 28 and 29 where he's talking about snatching them in the power of the hand. But you know what? Nobody can snatch him out of their, out of his hand. But guess what? He can disappear out of their hand. <laughs> That's what he's saying. little play on words right there. And then it says in verse 40, and we're about through here, And he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first, and there he stayed. And then many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all the things that John spoke about this man were true, and many believed in him there. So, guess what? He escapes out of their hand again because it's not yet his time to go to the cross. Remember, there was an appointed time for Jesus to go to the cross. So he escapes out of their hand. And then he goes way out in the wilderness, away from all the powers that be, the muckety-muck people, these people that are so wise in their own eyes. And he goes back out there where John was ministering. They don't know where he's at. They can't find him. So he goes out there and ministers out there. And then it says that even though John didn't do any signs, they believed his word. But then they said everything that Jesus, John said about Jesus was true. And then it says that many believed in his name. So they weren't believing in his name in town. Not many of them because guess what? They were too smart. They thought they were too smart and they didn't believe Jesus was who He said He was. They didn't believe the works that they saw. They didn't believe what was right before their eyes. And yet, He goes out in the wilderness to the people that John spoke to. The, many people believed that John was a true prophet and they believed His words and these folks out here didn't. This text really teaches the sovereignty of God. Did you know that God's sovereign? He's in control of everything. Did you know that? And even our crazy, stupid stuff we do now, He doesn't make us robots, right? But even the crazy, dumb stuff we do sometimes, somehow or another He works it all out, and one day it's going to turn out just like this Bible says it's going to back in the end of the book of Revelation. So we need to remember that God is sovereign he can secure his sheep. What he says he did, will do, he will do. And then second of all, we need to remember that there's a strong relationship in this Bible between what we say and what we do. If we're really truly saved, our walk will match our talk. We just can't talk and not do the things of God. The Bible says, by their fruit you shall know them. And the Bible speaks of fruit as attitudes actions and leading people to the Lord. And then lastly, it says a lot about leadership. A lot of times people are put in positions of leadership and they don't they abuse and use that position and when they do, one day God is going to hold us accountable for our positions in leadership. Sometimes there's even somebody in this facility that, that has great influence over other people. And because they do, they can use and abuse their leadership, right? And so we all know those people. They're all over. And sometimes people have these charismatic personalities. Sometimes they just have this 
powerful personality, this real strong personality, and people do what they want them to do, whether they want to or not. And then one day, those people will be held accountable. But you know what? God loves us. He died for us. And just remember, if God said it, it's true, right? And that's what we need to remember. That He says, I give them life and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. No one. And then He says, nobody can snatch them out of the Father's hand. And I and the Father are one. So you got double protection. You're inside two hands. And both of those hands are God the Father and God the Son. And you can't go anywhere. Some people say, well, you can walk off. You can't walk off. Because you wouldn't want to if you could. And so let's pray and then we'll sing one more song and we'll be through today. Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise you for who you are. And we thank you that salvation is eternal. That we can't walk off. That it can't be taken away from us. That you gave it. And you don't take things back. The Bible says that you promised by yourself. Because you could promise by nothing greater. And so Lord, we thank you that you are not a liar. We thank you that you're not all the things that people have said about you. That you are the true God, the wonderful God, the awesome God, the great God. The one who died in our place and died for our sins because you loved us so much that you wanted us to go to heaven. I pray today, if there's one that doesn't know you today, they would cry out and say, Lord Jesus, save me, I'm a sinner. And the Bible says, whoever calls on your name shall be saved. Lord, help us to follow you, to trust you, and to believe in you because you are totally trustworthy. You are totally worthy of all of our trust and everything that we have, Lord, because of what you've done for us. And even if you didn't do a thing for us, you're still worthy. And we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. I always sing the one right next to it. Let's sing number nine. What a friend we have in Jesus. Hi, I'm Marty McKenzie with His Love Ministries. Please help us reach out to those the world has forgotten. Everyone we minister to is locked up in some way, shape, or form. Those in the nursing home facilities are locked up in bodies that do not work in a wheelchair or in a bed. We minister to children and youth who are locked up because of behavioral problems. Some have told us we want to have a real family because their parents have lost or given up custody of them. Other kids are locked up because they've committed crimes. We also minister to those locked up at the jails and the prisons, to those locked up in addictions, to drugs, alcohol, depression, and suicidal thoughts, to those locked up in a variety of other things that keep them from becoming who Jesus wants them to be. He came to give us abundant life, joy, and set us free, and these people that we minister to are not free. Our desire is to show them whatever their background, no matter what they've done, to see how much God loves them. We seek to help them receive forgiveness and freedom from their sin in Jesus Christ. We minister in the local area of Savannah, Georgia, and surrounding Effingham and Chatham area. We have recently expanded our ministry to the Lexington and Columbia, South Carolina area. We do over 2,000 services every year. We hope and pray that you will support us in some way that so we can continue our mission. Go to hisloveministries.net and click on the Donate Now button or send it via regular mail to Post Office Box 1881, Lexington, South Carolina, 29071. We hope and pray that you will do that. Thank you and God bless you. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. John 832.